Trinidad is now populated by large numbers of French and Patois-speaking people, a smaller number of Spaniards, and in the mix there would be a couple English and Irish, because the Irish in particular would fit into the category of friendly towards Spain and Catholic. Welcome to Growing Up Woodbrook, the podcast. I'm Cecile George, Woodbrook born and raised and a member of the Woodbrook Residence Committee. We're taking a walk through the history of the area now known as Woodbrook, from its earliest incarnation as part of an important Aboriginal settlement called Kubu Kurapu, up to the present day. Woodbrook land was a keen estate. It was only good just for planting rice. But look at it, now it is a paradise. Oh, what a decent locality. Now is the Woodbrook vicinity. And this, our third episode, Plantation, picks up after the establishment of the Tragarite Estate in 1787 by the French sedulant Maury de la Perouse. We see Trinidad develop between 1783 and 1797. There is an increase in the population, there is a large increase in exports, and Trinidad is now starting to get a population that is involved in the production of tradable goods. In the decade between 1785 and 1795, over 150 sugar estates entered commercial production of Muscovado sugar. By the end of the 18th century, there were about 130 mills in operation on the island. Previously with the Spanish, you really didn't have the kind of labor force that would have sustained the sugar industry, and therefore they really relied on the kinds of crops in working smaller plantations, probably coffee, etc. The sugar plantations of the era were defined by large estates, the enforced labor of enslaved Africans, rigid social divisions based on race, color, and legal status, and labor-intensive methods of cultivation and manufacture. Operating a plantation required substantial capital and a large, skilled, and disciplined labor force. So you have all these French families just around the time of the cedula, and in the ensuing years, many of them make up what becomes known as the French Creole cultural element in Trinidad. And they were the ones who really took the sugar industry off because of the fact that that's what they had been doing in the islands from which they came and that they were allowed to bring the equipment and the slaves that would have been required to make something like sugar happen. The French Creoles and their enslaved Africans heavily influenced the culture of Trinidad and successful planters like the La Perouse formed a tightly knit and socially exclusive group that was difficult to penetrate. Many came from what were called the petite noblesse class, the lesser nobles of France. As they were aristocrats, they did not engage in trade or commerce. They were landowners who intermarried amongst themselves or with other Catholic families who owned property, like the Irish, Corsicans, or Germans. We have Dare. His name comes up every now and then. D-R-T he would have gotten land around the area that is now called Dare Street, just south of the Savannah. You have the De La Perouses, 
think the Pishis, the Diganzes, the family that eventually had the Maraval estate. So you have a meeting in Trinidad of people who have come from various parts of the Caribbean and those who came and who were friendly with Saint Laurent seem to have done very well. This is Napoleon who Every other Frenchman only copying. They held lavish dinner parties and introduced a high standard of living on the island, with many of the comforts of Europe. They held firm to their family history and traditions, and their estates became the center of economic and social life. By the 19th century, Trinidad was considered the most cultured society in the West Indies, primarily owing to the French Creole influence. 60 million Frenchmen would not be wrong. Plantation life was hard. The new estates were carved out of virgin forest, often in swampy or hilly regions. Planters and enslaved alike had to contend with dangerous wildlife like snakes and alligators, mosquitoes that carried malaria and yellow fever, and a workday that began before sunrise and ended after sunset. The slaves lived in fear of the whip and a wide range of horrific tortures, molestations, and deprivations. The masters lived in fear of justifiable revolt and being murdered by their rebellious subjects. The new language of the land became patois, French with African syntax seasoned liberally with Spanish words. So today, many older Afro-Trinidadians use words like macafouchette, bonger, tonne, and lagnac. We have French place names like Eusine Saint-Madeleine, Grand River, and Lavantille. And some of our folklore characters are the Sukuyan, La Diablesse, Lagahou, Papa Bois. Patois was the official spoken language of Trinidad well into the 19th century. But what also emerged from the enslaved French-speaking population was a new form of music, the Kaiso genre, of course sung in Patois. The first known singer, or Chantuel, a slave named Grosjean was owned by the Martinican planter Begorat, who ruled over a huge estate in Degomati. Soso, a Kaisonian contemporary of Grosjean, also belonged to Begorat. And then there was Papa Cochon, an alleged Obia man who also sang Kaiso and was presumed to be owned by the Boissier family. The Kaisonians were employed at parties to sing for the amusement of the planter class. They would compose derogatory songs about guests who had somehow offended their master, sing songs of praise about their particular owners, or engage in vicious extempo battles with each other. De La Perouse was in his early 40s when he died in 1793 and was buried in the cemetery that bears his family name. In that decade, he had considerably increased the size of his plantation. But once again, the storms of world history would send the winds of change howling across this small island in 1797 
bringing yet another new overlord and adding another new language and culture into the already heady mix. In those days I were not in existence, but it was told to me by my grandparents. I'm your host, Cecile George. Our podcast is a companion to the Growing Up Woodbrook Coffee Table Book, currently available worldwide, jointly published by the Woodbrook Residence Committee and the National Trust of Trinidad and Tobago. This podcast was made possible by the hard work and collaboration of many people, including educator and historian Valerie Taylor, music curator Sean Randu, and musicologist Patrice Cox Neves. The music in this episode was The History of the Woodbrook Vicinity by the Mighty Growler, 60 Million Frenchmen by the Mighty Sparrow, Emancipation Day Medley by Commentor, Congo Barra by Attila the Hun, and Flute Solo by Sirm Exi, used under the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. You can find it at freesound.org slash s slash 79973. We invite you to join us on this journey through Woodbrook's history. Subscribe and spread the word. Tell a friend or ten about our podcast and our book. If you'd like to ask a question or leave a comment, you can click on the link in the show notes to record a voicemail. And we'll see you back here next time on Growing Up Woodbrook, the podcast. <laughs>